blessing. A little good way to start a Palm Sunday, wasn't it? Have a, a baptism. What a blessing. We are, are blessed. I hope the screen was okay in here. We, uh, we're continuing in the book of Acts today. I know it's Palm Sunday and I, I, I could have preached on Palm Sunday, but I thought I'm going to keep going with the book of Acts. I like, uh, I like what's going on in the book of Acts. This is, um, I like how chill Luke is when he writes this. He's like, you know, there was a, a public disorder and, um, uh, and, you know, they got upset and they put him in there, but everything was okay. That's like, you know, a few weeks ago, you know, Paul got uh, stoned and he, Luke was like, well, you know, he was stoned, but then he got up and he was all right. I mean, that's kind of how Luke is. He's kind of chill with it all. He's just kind of like, you know, God's got this. It's all Okay. As you, you read of other passages where, where Paul is talking about this, what, this event, uh, like in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, it says, Paul says that he, he fought with wild beasts in Ephesus. In 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 11, Paul says that he despaired even for, the li- uh, for life in the face of deadly peril in Asia. In Romans 16, it states that Priscilla and Aquila risked their lives for him. I mean, so it wasn't like the calm, you know, Luke gave us a very calm rendition of this. This was a riot. This is a riot. This is, this is a, a people getting upset about their financial uh, endeavors, and they were, they were rioting. And then people were going along with mob mentality. In the passage says that some of them didn't even know what was going on. Most of them didn't even know what was going on. They were just part of the riot. We know riots. We've seen them in the news quite recently. Uh, last couple of years, haven't we? We've seen several riots in the news recently until COVID hit, and then all of a sudden all the riots went away. And the, um, but we, we've seen them. We've seen them in the news. I've never been in one. That is not on my bucket list. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, being a riot, not on my bucket list. Maybe it's on yours. I don't know. Uh, not on my... I mean, I remember in, in junior high when things got rough, you know, we were... In, in, in junior high, because junior highs are, are junior highs, uh, my school was a little rough. I remember, uh, well, it started because someone put a horse's head inside a guy's locker. Um, and uh, it started, uh, a, uh, 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 it was more like a mosh pit in the hallways than a riot. You know, things were lit on fire and there was a gun pulled and um, I was big enough that I just pushed my way to class because that's the way I worked. Um, uh, but, um, and that wasn't even a real riot. I can't imagine what it would be like to be in one of these riots where there's people are upset and, 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 and thing, words are being said and, and anger and heightened and, uh, and they're, they're fighting and, and that mob mentality takes over and no one knows really what's going on. They're just going along with everybody else because why not? And I can't imagine what's being in there and, and uh, but that's kind of what was going on here in 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 the the book of in Ephesus, where where they're they're taking place in Ephesus, and it starts because Paul is preaching. Remember we talked last week that he was in a lecture hall that he had rented out. He 
been run out of synagogue. And so he was preaching in a lecture hall, and he was saying things like the man-made gods were not real gods. And it was gaining traction. People were starting to, well, maybe we shouldn't worship these false gods. Maybe we shouldn't be worshiping these false idols. And it says, and the, the, the main goddess in the town of Ephesus was a, a deity named Artemis. Now, when we think of Artemis, a lot of times we think of the fair and the chaste huntress of Greek mythology. That's not the Artemis that Ephesus had. Ephesus had a grotesque, multi-breasted um, mother goddess. Uh, her image is um, believed to have been fashioned in heaven and fell from the sky. Uh, in, in, in truth, it, it probably was a meteorite that fell. And we have other examples of this in other religions where the meteorite falls and it looked like a multi-breasted figure, and so they began to worship it as a mother goddess. And um, they raised it up out of its context. It was a meteorite, and it fell from heaven, and so they said, well, it's got to be from the goddesses, the goddess Artemis, show us what she looks like so we can worship her. But we like to do that all the time, right? We like to raise things out of proportion, right? Uh, you know, Idols into gods, things into bigger things, you know, problems into huge problems, issues into the death of us. Your tire blew out, and oh my God, the devil is trying to kill me. Um, we like to raise things out of proportion. You know, we had waves on our screen, I'm told in their baptism that is not the devil trying to keep you from seeing it that was probably just interference from someone's hearing aid here in the church because <laughs> it didn't do that in practice <laughs> uh, you know we, we we like to we like to blow things out of proportion and so that's what they did they raised this image and they made it into stuff and and ephesus is the main temple of artemis there are 33 other temples of Artemis. Um, but Ephesus held the holy stone. And then we come to the real problem in the passage. It comes to the real problem. The temple of Artemis has become the primary base for Ephesus' wealth and continued prosperity. That's the real Ephesus. They're actually not even upset about the religion. I'm sure maybe a couple people are, but you notice the people that are complaining and, and starting the riot? It's not the religious aspect that they're complaining about. It's the economic and wealth situation. I mean, it's still considered one of the seven wonders of the world, this temple in Ephesus. But at the time, thousands of pilgrims and tourists came to it from far and near. They swarmed it and there was tradesmen that were making their living off of it, conmen. We know this kind of environment. I mean, we live in a casino town. We know how much money is made off those big in, uh, casinos. This is the main attraction. And so the people making their living off of those people are supplying the wealth of the city. You've know, you got food and lodging and 
you know, the offerings that need to be raised, the directory and the souvenirs and the little idols of it that were being made by the craftsmen. And, and on top of that, at this time period, temples had become the primary banking system. Before they had like our, our, our temple we call the bank, they had banks. The temples were the banks. Even merchants and kings and cities would have been make deposits at the temples to keep them safe under the protection of the deity and the temple guard. And so this was the major economic location for Ephesus. So you're taking on not just a religious aspect, you're taking on the economy. No wonder people are upset. And they don't even complain about the religion. They're mad about the economy. And as Paul is preaching, he's turning them away from this idolatry. It's affecting their profit margins, not their profits. And so, as these people get upset, they begin to raise up and say, we can't let them continue. Because our economic prosperity is more important than anything else. What was his real God? It wasn't Artemis. These crafters, these people, they were using the religion to make Lots of money. And I think about that as I think about our own lives, right? As I try to apply it to our own lives, we do a lot of that kind of stuff, right? We, we use Christianity to do what? To push our own politics. To push our own traditions, our own economy, our point of view. Christianity becomes a tool. I mean, how many Christian presidents have there been? Actually, all of them have claimed Christianity at some point. They use Christianity as a tool. We've used Christianity to, uh, to oppress people. That's one of the main reasons people turn away from the truth of Jesus Christ is because it's been used as a tool for too many years. We don't know what we can trust. And we, we have wars and bombs and disrespect and anger, all in the name of religion. But in fact, religion is actually the afterthought. It's just a tool being used to push our political our ways. And they had the same issue. They were using religion to push their way. And we... tend to be not like the heroes in the story. We all, want to, we all want to be the hero, right? I'm Paul. But in reality, we all more, more often than not when we read these stories, we should put ourselves in the villain spot because we relate more with them. We use religion to push our, our agendas. Both sides. I'm not just talking about Republicans and Democrats. All of them do it. Well, if you were really a Christian, if you were really a Christian, 
You know what the Bible says if you're a really Christian, how we, should, how we know them? It says you'll know them by your fruits. And you know, the Bible doesn't try to trick you. It doesn't say, well, I'm an apricot. You've got to look and see if they're a plum or an apricot. No. The Bible tells us what the fruit is. The Bible doesn't try to trick you. It says you'll know what the fruit is. It's love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's nine of them. You'll know them by that. So if you ain't got those, well, maybe you need to look and see whether you're actually in the spirit or not. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes you won't mess up. We're all fallen people that sometimes mess up. But we're saints that sometimes mess up, not sinners that sometimes get it right. Saints that sometimes mess up, not sinners that sometimes get it right. And these people, they use this, this religion and they said, you know, and they grabbed the friends of Paul and, and, they, and Paul went into the theater, the place where he's been preaching, and they dragged him in there and they wanted to put him on trial. They wanted to put them on trial. They wanted to stone him. They wanted to, to kick him out of town. They wanted to to stop them from disrupting their profit line. And they face the crowd. But then they come to the city clerk. And he looks at them and says, there's no claim you can bring against them. Now, when they said there's no claim, that does not mean that people didn't like them. Obviously, people didn't like Paul. What they're talking about here, claim is a legal and religious aspect, religion, the idea that separation between church and state is actually a really, really new idea. It was religion and the state went together. <coughs> so you can't bring any legal or religious claim against them. They are within their rights to preach a different religion. They are within their rights. They, they have done nothing that you can grieve against them legally either religiously or legally. And the clerk has to dismiss the crowd. I bet that was easy. We're talking about a riot going on right here. I'm sure that was easy. But as I think about this passage, I think about all the different things, religions in the United States, all the different point of views in the United States. I mean, think about, you know, we, you can name some, maybe where you came from or where you still are, you know, Buddhism, atheism, you follow the, the teachings of David Hume, the uh, Wiccan, uh, um, um, skeptics, Islam, uh, American Christianity, which is different than actual Christianity. I'm talking about the false religion that some people turn Christianity into. Um, the, you know, we can go on and on. You know, I met a guy the other day that worships Odin uh, from the old Norse religion. He, he's wanting to bring that back. Um, which sounds silly to us, but he was dead on serious with his faith. Um, and we have all kinds of different religions and philosophies in this group. And, and like Ephesus, not everyone is going to be happy that we're here and what we're saying. 
And the danger that we face is not from, we're not in another country where they persecute us with violence or arrest or, that's not what's going on here in the United States. Our danger is responding rationally, angrily, even violently to these other philosophies. I mean, how many Twitter wars have you seen? I know some of you guys are not on Twitter at all, but Twitter wars or, or social media wars where they, they, they're arguing points of view back and forth. No one's getting anywhere. No one really cares, but they're just being angry and arguing their point of view. Christians and non-Christians and like. Christians even bombing, like, abortion clinics. That ain't right. But instead, the Bible says we're supposed to endure the peace. The, the, we're supposed to live peacefully with those around us. So that they can bring no claim against us. Doesn't mean you agree with them. Doesn't mean you accept their teachings. But lead a life that means that you, they cannot bring claim against you. So that it is possible that you may live in peace. Showing the love of God to those around you. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, on your part, be at peace with all people. That ain't easy to do, is it? There are some people that we just don't like. And Paul here is speaking in Romans. He's talking about the Romans who are actively trying to kill the Christians. And it says, be at peace with all people. Oh, that's hard. That's hard. Being at peace with them mean, doesn't mean enforcing a bunch of laws on someone. Doesn't mean being anti whatever your campaign is. Actually, I don't like being anti anything. I don't, uh, you know, I don't like, here we'll use abortion as an example. I am not pro-abortion. I don't like abortion. I think it's wrong. I think it's sacrificing the false gods. But I don't want to be known as being anti-abortion. That's why we say it's pro-life. Because we're for life. We're not anti-abortion. We're for life. And there's a big difference between being anti-abortion and pro-life. Because pro-life means you're going to be pro-life and life and life, and life, and life. Anti-abortion means as soon as they're born, you don't care about the person anymore. And there are some people that claim to be pro-life that are anti-abortion. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. i pro-life because I believe that God came to give life to the fullest. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm pro-life because I believe God can bring life to people. Because being at peace with people means that I love God and I love my neighbor as myself. That's what the Bible says. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, 
Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Quoting from the Old Testament both times, he says those. And because we love God, because we love our neighbor as ourselves, and that isn't easy. It isn't easy to love your neighbor as yourself, especially when you disagree with them. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan, right, in the Bible? Who's the neighbor? The one they had problems with because they were racist? And it's hard. Sometimes we have to sacrifice. You know, like in that story of the, the Good Samaritan, the first guy passes by because he's a priest heading to the temple, which means that if he helps this guy, if he touches this guy, he's going to have to take seven days off of work. He's not going to be able to go do his job. He's not going to be able to offer the sacrifices. He's not going to be able to do what he's supposed to do for the good of the country. So he passes him by. It takes sacrifice sometimes. I mean, he was going to have to take a week off of work. How many of you guys could take a week off of work? I know some of you guys are retired. And you're like, I ain't, I ain't worked in two or three years. I don't know what I'm talking about. I could take the time off. <laughs> but it takes sacrifice sometimes to love them. And it says we're supposed to be at peace, which means we're not going to be arguing with people all the time. Discussing is good. Discussing brings out peaceful resolution. Arguments lead to destruction. They don't lead us anywhere. Once an argument happens, it's people begun angry and they stop listening. Discussions are healthy. And it's okay to discuss things. It's not good to argue and quarrel. I mean, Proverbs 17, 14 says, like the release of water, it be- is the beginning of strife. Before it breaks out, stop the quarrel. Stop the quarrel. How do you stop the quarrel most of the time? You walk away. That's hard for us to do. We're a nation of the few, the proud, the brave. We don't walk away from nothing. I said, stop the quarrel. And it's hard. Because we like to stand up. And, and, but once it stops being a discussion, and it's okay to stand up for your point of view and yourself and the discussion, it's healthy. But as soon as it stops being a discussion, then we lose and it just becomes about anger and violence and things that God is not. 2 Timothy 14, 2.14. People, remind people of these things, solemnly urging them before the Lord. Do not dispute about, the wor- about words. This is, no, this is in no way beneficial that leads to the ruin of the hearers. Don't be disputing, arguing about the words. Now that's not to say you don't have a discussion about what the Bible says. 
Discussing is healthy. A good, solid discussion. How should we translate the Bible or this, this passage in the Bible? You know, language changes about every 20 years. I mean, some of you guys have seen it three or four times in your lifetime. You're still speaking English, but it doesn't mean the same thing you did when you were little. I mean, now someone texts you and you're like, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> Not a clue. What does that even, I don't even, how do I do that? <laughs> it changes. Language changes. And so we may be using the exact same word, but it means something totally different. And so we like to argue about things that mean different things because we haven't laid down the groundwork. That's why I often say, okay, we're going to talk about this word. Let's make sure we're all on the same page. You see me that, do that quite a bit on Tuesday nights when I'm, when I'm teaching you guys, don't I? I said, let's make sure we're all on the same page with this because we, language changes. And so it's good to have a discussion. Well, how do we best translate this word in the Hebrew or in the Greek or the Aramaic so that we can translate it best, so that we can understand it best? That's healthy. But we start arguing about it. Then we're just putting, you're wrong, I'm right. And we're not making any progress. We're not growing at all that way. Dig our feet into the ground, right? I ain't going to grow. I'm going to stand right here. <laughs> Philippians 2, 14, 16 says, Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Whoa. How many have this problem? I know. I'm stepping on some toes here. Grumbling. How many? I have a problem with grumbling. How many of you grumble? Grumble, grumble. We have pro I have. You know, it's easy to have a problem with grumbling. But it says, "Do all things without grumbling." Whoa! That means that even though we may all do it, we need to be actively working on not doing it. Ooh! Oh, I got actively working on not grumbling and disputing. That means when I catch myself grumbling, I got to be actively saying, nope, that's wrong. I got to change this pattern of behavior and disputing. In order that you may become blameless and innocent children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars. Notice that you shine like stars. Why? Because you don't grumble and dispute. Holding fast to the word of life for a source of pride to me in the days of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Because didn't grumble, didn't dispute, just lived life according to the scriptures. Wow. How hard is that? How difficult is that? Doing all things. And that's how we have no claim brought against us. Because Paul, even though he has his own innocence, he is not sinless. But in this case, he was legally, spiritually pure, blameless. They couldn't bring a claim against him. He'll say to himself, I hate, you know, things I, I don't, you know, he, he struggles. And he'll tell you flat out in some of those passages, I struggle. I hate to do the things that I do. 
but he's blameless. He cannot be brought claim against him because he's lived a life that showed that God loves him and he loved others. Love God first, love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. What a different world we'd live on if we could all be that way. But it isn't called for the world. We're supposed to be shining like stars because we live differently. But too often we find ourselves being like the Ephesians. Living not like shining stars, but grumblers, disputers, arguers, because we've lost track of the love of Jesus Christ, the grace and mercy that He's asked us to show the world. Oh, the difference that would make. So as I think about this, I think, what are our next steps? What's my next steps? Because that's what it's about, right? We are making steps towards being more like Christ. That's what it's about, right? So that means every week we should have next steps that we're supposed to be doing. It's not just like, well, I, I, you know, I've been baptized. I've been, that was, I'm done. No. Every week we have steps that we take. And maybe this week your step is, I do need to accept Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Maybe it's, I do need to be baptized like our wonderful sister did today. Maybe it's, I do need to join this local church body because we are the church. This building is not church. It's the local church body. I need to join this local church body in witnessing and, and, and being associated and spreading the love of Jesus Christ here in Laughlin, Nevada, America, and beyond, right? Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is, you know what? I've been a grumbler and a gossiper and a disputer, and a, you could fill in yours. And I need to put these things to death within me. And my next step is I need to, I need to take the steps. I need to get the help. I need to have someone trust me. That, you know, if I, you catch me grumbling, you know what? You don't have to say nothing. Just, you know, touch me or, or give me a signal, you know. Apples. <laughs> I mean, we, we, maybe your next step is that I need to put to death some of these things so that I can be a shining star. I've been too much like the Ephesians using Christianity to, to, to enforce my way of thinking on other people. You know what? They're not going to think like you until they're changed by the Holy Spirit. So you want to share... Jesus, and you can go check this out in the Gospels. Every time he witnessed to a non-believer, he started with love first. Then he went to truth. It was only when he was witnessing to believers, the spiritually, they started with truth and then went to love. A lot of times we got it backwards. We want to love our, our people that we like and then beat the other people with truth. Maybe that's where you're at. You've been beating people with truth and you need to start with love. What are your next steps going to look like this week?
Maybe there's someone that you've got that has a complaint against you and you need to reach out to them. Maybe you've got a complaint about someone else and you need to hash it out. Not quarrel. But lay things out. And a lot of times I found that our problems really are lack of communications because we started arguing and we've stopped talking. I mean, that's true in most relationships, right? We stop talking and start arguing. We don't get nowhere. Maybe that's your problem. Maybe it's even your problem with God. You stop talking and you're just arguing. What are your next steps going to look like this week? Father God, I praise you today, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would lead us down a path that we may take the next steps to, to be the kind of people that you would like us to be so that we may be the shining stars in a world around us. So that we may be held to the truth of your love. Lord, that you may... Be our focus. And Lord, that you may help us to not have any claims against us. Lord, we want to be like you. Lord, we know that they killed you even though that you didn't have any claims against you. So Lord, we're not going to worry if they hate us. We are going to live a life that shows your love. Help us to share that love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.